Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Doing a series going verse by verse through the book of James. And uh, the, the main theme uh, of the book of James is Christian maturity. And if you kind of keep that in mind, it'll help you to stay doctrinally correct because some people get on over into some sections in, in James and they think, well, he's, he's saying you're also saved by works. Well, no, he tells us in the very beginning of this book, he's writing to people that are already saved. He, he's writing to believers and he's, he's more or less letting them know how they ought to behave, uh, as, as Christians in order to be someone that is, uh, growing as, as a Christian, someone that's maturing as, as a Christian. Part of being a mature Christian involves being a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. And the reason I chose the, that title for this section of James, a lot of Bible scholars look at the book of James and, and they see a lot of similarities to the themes of James and what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of those similarities is the section that we're in now in James because it seems like he's kind of dealing with the topic of how we need to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. And of course, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount brought up that uh, that subject. It's a logical thing to me that, that James, uh, who's writing this, would be interested in this topic of being a peacemaker. Uh, one, he grew up with Jesus, being the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, so he probably had the opportunity maybe to uh, uh, hear Jesus on more than one occasion uh, deal with this topic. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus said these words uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that phrase, peacemaker, just means more or less someone willing to be peaceable, someone willing to, to, to make peace. And, and James deals with that topic in, in this section of, of this letter that he writes out to believers, to churches. Um, I told you a couple of weeks ago, and the reason I'm revisiting some of this, because we had Mother's Day last week, Daryl preached, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in James. But I also told you, I think James, from a practical standpoint, would have been interested in this topic of peacemakers, because he was a pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And that being the case, I'm just assuming him as a pastor would like to pastor people who are peacemakers. Uh, Dale Fisher, our director of missions, was with us for the first service. And I, I looked at Dale to confirm this because he deals with a lot of pastors. And I say, Dale, confirm this. Would a pastor rather be a pastor of a church full of troublemakers or peacemakers? And he said, peacemakers. So I, I think James, from a practical reason, is, is also concerned about us being peacemakers. A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at the topic of attitudes that can either cause or cancel trouble. Today we're going to move from talking about attitudes to looking at some actions that can actually create trouble with God. Now I'm just assuming that's not a very good idea. Would you agree with me? 
God spoke everything into existence. He's the one that gives us the air we breathe, the sunshine, the food we eat, lets our heart beat, and everything else. So I just kind of don't think it's a good idea for us to position ourselves in such a way that it's like we're trying to be a troublemaker with God or be an enemy with God. So we're going to look at a couple of uh, couple of main things uh, today and then a lot of smaller things underneath it. But uh, as he writes in, in verse 4 through 7 of James chapter 4, the, the first type of action that can actually cause trouble with God is what he calls spiritual adultery. Because he brings up the topic. And spiritual adultery is unfaithfulness. With God. And just like unfaithfulness in a, 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 a literal marriage relationship, it's going to cause some trouble. When, when you and I are spiritually unfaithful to God, it causes trouble with Him. Look what He says in verse 4 through 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is empty with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He addresses them with this title. James addresses a group of believers. He's not talking to a bunch of rabble raisers down at the bar. He's riding to a group of believers. And he starts out this topic by looking at them and saying, you adulterous people. Now, I think he does that intentionally. He wanted to shock them and get their attention. And I walked out this morning, and the first thing out of my mouth would be for me to point at all of you and say, you adulterous people. You'd probably think, what in the world has happened since last week? We get your attention. And that's what James is doing. The literal word means adulteresses. It's built from a root word in the Greek that talked about a male paramour or a male prostitute. So I think it's a shocking thing to them as he's writing to believers who were predominantly from a Jewish background and he looks at them and he calls them adulterers. In the Old Testament, God many times would look at the uh, idolatry of the people of Israel and he would refer to it as adultery. So it kind of boils down to this. Any time that we allow something to take the rightful place of God in our lives. That in itself is idolatry. We don't think of it maybe in the same terms of, of having this uh, uh, you know, golden image or wood image or whatever and bound down before it. But anytime we allow something in our lives to take the place that God should be occupying in our lives, that's an idol. And James refers to that idolatry as being similar to Adultery. It, it's like a, it's like an adulterous wife who has a husband and a home, and she wants to keep both those, but she kind of wants to go play around a little bit. Or it's like an adulterous man who also has a husband and a home, and and he's kind of wanting to hold on to those, but he wants to play the field a little bit. 
Doing so causes trouble. Amen? In relationships. And when, when, when you and I do that with God, it's going to cause some trouble with our, our relationship with God. So that's what he addressed to them. Why did he do that, though? And that's what we need to focus on. Why in the world would James write to them and say, you adulterous people? Well, he, look, at, look at what said here, and we'll just kind of break it down as, as we go through it. But there's several reasons why he calls them adulterous people. First of all, they were choosing the wrong friendship. He said, do you not know that your friendship with the world is enemy with God? And instead of choosing the right friendship, which would be friendship with God, they're choosing the wrong friendship. Now, this is believers. Once again, he's writing to believers. The, the main topic of James is spiritual maturity. And he's writing to believers who need to be more spiritually mature. And it's not going to help you to be more spiritually mature if you're being a friend with the world because doing so causes a problem with God. Some of the words that he uses there, and I won't really go in detail on all of them, but he be saying, do you not absolutely know? And kind of the way that would read in the Greek is almost like, don't you know? Don't you, know, don't you surely know that if you're being a friend, and, and the word in, in the Greek is the, uh, the same word we get the word Philadelphia from, the brother city love, uh, or the, the city of brotherly love. I'm dyslexic this morning. Get everything backwards. If I do that most, well, I may say something I should not say. Huh? But uh, anyway, it's it's just being being friendly. He's saying if you're if you're trying to be loving the world like a friend, and the idea of world, please please understand this because he's not saying that we can't enjoy things in the world. God, God made the world for us to enjoy in the right way. I mean, he made the world beautiful and, you know, things for, for us to fully enjoy. That, that's why he did it. That's not what's meant by the world. The, the word that he used here in the Greek is talking about the orderly arrangement or, or the worldly system. You, you might can say it like this. He's talking about the world apart from God. The, the world that wants to leave God behind. And, and we live in a world that's increasingly doing that. Amen? I mean, if you had told me... 30 years ago, when I first entered the ministry, if you had told me then that I would see some of the things publicly accepted and, and even being pushed for and, and, and things in our culture, I, I might would have laughed at you back then. But, but we're in pretty sad state in America and in our culture. But because it's like more and more they're wanting to push God out. And, and they're wanting us to be quiet. You know, kindly about the things of, of God. So if we're going to be friends with this world system that's wanting to leave God out, he, he says doing so puts us at odds with God. It, it's as though we are being hostile toward God. It, it's as though we're trying to oppose God. We're, we're hating God. The same word is used in the Bible referring to Satan as an adversary, uh, also an enemy or foe. So it's just like we're kind of acting like Satan. When, when we're trying to be the friend of the world, we're being empty with God. And once again, he's the supreme deity. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem smart for us to want to be an enemy with him. But that's what they were doing. The reason he calls them spiritual adulterers is that they were being friends with the world system that did not want to consider God whatsoever. Now, 
Some people read that, and their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, that means we need to withdraw from the world. But that is not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. The, the Bible does not teach for us to withdraw from the world. The, the Bible tells us we're to be in the world, but not of the world. I mean, he, he's left us here for a reason. We're to engage our culture. We're to be trying to transform lives of people who have been leaving God out to where they want God in their life, to where they know who Christ is and have a relationship with Him. So it's not even biblical to try and think you're going to pull out of the world. James, several times, the very one that's writing these words, he's not telling you to withdraw. Several times he's told us in, in James, we're to care for people. We're to minister to people. We're to feed hungry people. We're, we're to clothe people who, who need clothing. He, he's not telling us to withdraw. He's just telling us we're not to be on the side of the world. And because they were choosing friendship with the world, he, he calls them adulterous. More or less, they were making themselves the enemy of God. It's what they were doing. Therefore, he goes on in verse 4, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, whoever has the desire, whoever is deciding that they want to be a friend of the world, by doing so, you're making yourself an enemy of God. The, the word wishes to be a friend of the world means that you are willing or, or you're longing for it. You're, it's almost like you're existing with a fondness to be a friend of the world system that's apart from God. And, and James is telling us whenever we do that, we're taking a stance ourselves that makes ourselves an enemy of God. It's interesting in the Greek, the tense that he uses there. Because when he says make himself, it means in the Greek to, to place down permanently. It's like someone has decided, I, I'm going to pitch my tent over here in the world. I'm going to reside here permanently as a, a friend of the world. It's like we're designating ourselves as a friend of the world. The word convoy, I mean, I, we're rednecks, right, huh, around here in Caldwell County, so I read the word convoy, and what do you think of? Tell, tell me, what do you think of a convoy? Truck drivers, ain't a convoy. You know, because of all we used to hear about that years ago. So think about that in those terms. Anytime we decide to be a friend of the world, it's as though we have lined up in a convoy that's going against God. As though we're being hateful like an enemy or an adversary toward him they were making themselves the enemies of god by by being the friends of the world and that's why he he alludes to them as being adulterous the, the world is an enemy the world system is an enemy of god so whoever wills or purposes or desires to be a friend of the world by doing so that keeps you from being a friend of god but because you've kind of made your allegiance with the world we're living to please the old nature. That's against God, even as believers. Romans tells us this. Paul said the carnal mind is enmity against God. See, the world's point of view is this. The world's point of view is the world system without God it is, you know, be flexible, be tolerant, keep your mouth shut. We don't want to hear from you. That's kind of the world without God, their viewpoint. That, that's the desire that, that they have. The problem is that won't work. <laughs> because by doing so, by aligning ourselves with the world system, we're acting like we're an enemy of God. And, and those two things aren't supposed to work. Uh, 
the moment you and I received Christ as our Savior, a change took place. So it should have took place. We're no longer in this world just to be a user or a consumer. We're not in this world just to be like pleasure-mad tourists that want to take it all in as you're on vacation. Since you've received Christ as your Savior, instead of being like a pleasure-mad tourist trying to consume and take it all in, you are now an ambassador for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A completely different intent for our lives. We're supposed to be agents representing King Jesus in this world. And they were not doing that, so he called them spiritual adulterers. They, they were choosing the wrong friendship. They were making themselves the enemies of God. And they were also doing this. They were ignoring the Scriptures. James writes, he says, or, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says? He, he kind of said, don't you think? <laughs> you know? Don't you understand that do you suppose, he, he's saying, do you suppose, do you, do you think that there's no purpose whatsoever that God just vainly wrote the Bible, that he just vainly inspired men to write it down, that there's no purpose, that it's just emptiness, there's no reason for it at all? He, he said, do, do you think there's no, no purpose in what the holy writings, that's what scripture means, holy writ, that gives a systematic discourse, do you, do you think there's no reason for it at all? I mean, James could have put it like this because here's what he's really saying. Do you think God wastes his breath? Do you think God wastes his words? Do you think God just said words indiscriminately and not really mean what he was saying? Because when we act like that, when we ignore what the Scripture has to say, it puts us on the path of being a friendship with the world, being friends with the world, and puts us on a path to being an enemy of God because we're ignoring what God tells us. We're ignoring what we need to live by. See, James doesn't hesitate to do this. James doesn't hesitate to call his writers that he's writing to to be submissive to the Word of God. He's confronting them with the Word of God. He's saying, do you think this is for no reason? And because they were acting like this was for no reason, it was leading them to friendship with the world. Go back to a human relationship for a minute. I'll meddle just a little bit. If you never, ever, ever paid attention to what your spouse said... Is that going to lead to a good place in a relationship? Oh, wow. <laughs> I just saw somebody getting married this week and get elbowed up here at the front. You better listen to me after we get married. I mean, honestly, some of you are afraid to respond. I'm not going to answer that, preacher, because you know she or he's sitting right beside me. But, but honestly, if you always ignored what your spouse had to say, it's not going to lead to a good place, is it? If we are ignoring Jesus, because if you're a believer, you're the bride of Christ, and he's your bridegroom, and if we're all the time ignoring what he has to say, it's not going to lead to a good place. It'll wind up making it easy for us to be friends with the world if we're ignoring what he says. They're also ignoring the Holy Spirit. 
Because James writes, he says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. God dotes upon us because as a believer, he lives in us. He put his spirit in us. He has this intense craving of possession. Because you see, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you're not yours anymore. You don't belong to yourself. The Bible says you were bought and paid for with a price, the shed blood of Jesus. So, so God, rightly so, has this intense craving or desire or this jealousy, not in a, a bad way, but in, in a good way, in a holy way, maybe as a, as a husband or a wife might be jealous over their spouse. God is, is jealous over us, like he pines or wastes away over it. Because he, he's made his spirit to house permanently or reside in us in a fixed position. That's what it says in the Greek. Man, I love that, don't you? You know what that means? That means when you receive Christ as your Savior, God sent the Holy Spirit to live in your life, and He is there forever, and He'll never leave. Man, I love that because I've done some things to chase Him off before. Have you? But, but as a believer, He is there, and yet they were ignoring the Holy Spirit guiding them. And because of that, because they were ignoring the Holy Spirit guiding them, and they were being friends with the world, James writes and he says, hey, you're a bunch of spiritual adulterers. And he got their attention, I think, by saying that. There's a second main thing we need to see today as we think about actions that can cause or create trouble with God. Not just spiritual adultery or unfaithfulness with God, but, but human arrogance or pridefulness also creates trouble with God. In verse 6 and 7, he says, but he gives more grace. Kind of park that in your mind. We'll come back to that right at the end. Therefore, it says, the Bible says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There are at least three things that we need to uh, get out of those two verses. The first thing we need to get is a, is a scriptural principle that he gives us. In other words, a, a, a scriptural principle is something that's been true for a long time. It'll always be true. It's true right now, and you need to apply it to your life. Therefore, it says, the Bible says, it's already been communicated. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a principle that you and I need to wrap our, our minds around because if we fail to apply it to our lives, it, it will lead us to being causing trouble with God, like an enemy with, with Him. Look at some of the words that he used there. The word says means to, to, to lay forth as a systematic discourse. He's not just mincing words. He's saying it for a reason. The, the Bible says, he says, God has said, God opposes that means that supreme deity that we talked about earlier, he literally ranges himself against. He puts himself in opposition to you. The root word means that God arranges himself in an orderly fashion against the proud. It's actually a military term. And it speaks of an enemy taking actions to set up a camp to attack you. So here's a spiritual principle, the scriptural principle that he's given us that we need to be aware of. It is this, God 
opposes, like he's ready to attack us when we're filled with pride. When we conspicuously act like we're better than other people. When, when we try to assume that we are over, above, beyond others. But he says, on the other hand, he does this. He, he gives in a very wide application grace to those that are, that are humble. He's quoting from Proverbs 3.34 and 1 Peter, by the way, also quotes from it in 1 Peter chapter 5. But the Bible says, toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Here, here's our problem. Here's why we get lifted up in pride. You and I sit around, we compare ourselves with each other. And if I'm going to sit around and compare myself with other people, sooner or later, it might take me a while, but sooner or later, I'm going to find somebody, I'm going to think, hey, I'm better than that person. I mean, I may have to work on it a while. I'm screwed up, are you? <laughs> but when we find somebody that we think we're better than, you see, that, that's what gets us all twisted. What would fix that for us is this. If we would see ourselves before God, all of us would have a pretty easy time of being humble. If we would see ourselves before Him, if that would be our comparison. You know what one of the biggest problems that Christianity has today, especially the churches have today? We have too many celebrities and not enough servants. We have people wanting to promote themselves it's because of my ministry and what I've done. I've brought all these people here because of me. You know, whether it be a small church or a megachurch. But if someone's striving to be a celebrity and they're allowing pride to enter in, God opposes that. And if we compare ourselves to Him, that wouldn't be what we'd do anyway. We would find humility if we'd understand who we are before him. So, so he gives us a scriptural principle that's true in the past, it's true now, always be true. And, and if you don't want God opposing you, you, you need to quit being proud. Because <laughs> he gives grace to the humble. He also gives a personal practice, or really a couple of personal practices. Well, let me back up. I'm about to jump over a verse that's too important. I don't, I don't want to do that. Paul writes these words. He says, there, there dwells no good thing in us. Do you believe that? If you believe that, read it with me. You ready? One, two, three. There dwells no good thing in us. That's pretty easy. You want to know why? Because us is there because we can make it apply to somebody else. Let's read it again like this. There dwells no good thing in, in me. We understand that. It'll help us to be humble. So let, let's move on. He, he gives us also some personal practices that we need to, to have in, in our lives. Really two main practices that he gives us in verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God is the first one. Resist the devil and something positive happens. He will flee from you. 
So let's think about the first practice, because if you and I want to be more spiritually mature, if we want to avoid being a friend with the world, if we want to avoid causing trouble between ourselves and God, then we need to be willing to submit to him. It's really a military term. It means, you know, to be subordinate, to put yourself underneath someone's control in an orderly fashion. Here, it talks about us willingly arranging ourselves underneath the supreme deity, which to me makes sense that we ought to do anyway, because he's God and we're not. The military term literally means this. Get into your proper rank. In other words, if you're in the army, if you're a private, you act like a private. If you're a, you're a corporal, you act like a corporal. If you're a sergeant, you act like a sergeant. Imagine this. Imagine a buck private just in the army starts acting like a general. I bet that's going to cause some problem pretty fast. Some of you guys in the military, being in the military, agree with that? <laughs> huh? Let me add to it. If a buck private starts acting like the general, to the general, I guarantee you there's going to be trouble. And he's telling us we need to avoid that. You and I as believers, we need to willingly submit to God because he's a general, we're not. He, he's the one that created us. He, he's the one that provides for us. He, he's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And we need to bring ourselves underneath his control, underneath his authority, Instead of acting like a buck private that's telling the general what to do because that doesn't work to do that. Unconditional surrender to God is what will help us grow in our lives. That's the theme of the book. Being more like Jesus, growing in spiritual maturity. That's the theme of James. And the way that will happen quicker is if you and I unconditionally submit to him. Whatever he says, whether we like it or not, we submit to it. Whatever the Bible says, whether we like it or not, we submit to it. And if we would submit to God in that way, it would give us more victory and more growth in our lives. That's the first practice that he gives us. First personal practice, submit to God. Second one is resist the devil. Resist the devil. That phrase, I just kind of stuck the words together, the word study, means to stand against, oppose, resist, withstand Satan, who, by the way, is a false accuser, a slanderer, a devil, who, by the way, is also a liar. The, the root word means to stand opposite of him, implying that you're standing in opposition of Satan. So James tells us to do two things, submit to God, resist the devil. Okay, he tells us to resist the devil. How might we do that? in a better way. Well, first of all, we need to understand the wiles of the devil. We need to understand the devil's wiles. The way he works. The way he operates. The Bible tells us he appears as an angel of light. And I've talked about that before, not too long ago, here on, on Sunday uh, morning. If, if Satan appeared the way you see him in the horror movies, we would all think, I don't think I want to have anything to do with him. <laughs> but he appears an angel of light, where we kind of think, oh, well, yeah, you know, I think I'd kind of enjoy that. Looks pretty good to me. So we need to understand that's how he appears. We also need to understand he's always a liar. 
So to get an illustration, and it's not a, it's not an exhaustive illustration, but to get a picture of how Satan operates, let's talk about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Because as Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, remember the background, Jesus had been there fasting for how long? Forty days. So Satan shows up to tempt him, and the first thing that he tempts him with is the seduction of self-sufficiency. He brings rocks over here, and he says, hey, you've got the ability to do this. You're hungry. You've not ate anything for 40 days. Yes, he's God, but he's also human. So he was hungry. And he brings these rocks over, and he says, since you have the power to do this, in your own way, in your own self-sufficiency, just turn it into bread and eat it. You see, Satan tempts us the same way. He he tempts us to rely upon our self-sufficiency, what we can do instead of relying upon God. He also operates with a seduction of self-importance. He he was tempting Jesus to test God. Throw yourself off the top of this temple and see if those angels won't come and bear you up. Prove how important you are. Prove how significant you are to God. So that was a temptation that he had. And Satan will tempt us a lot the same way. He wants us to feel like we're really important. And the seduction of power was this. If you'll just bow before me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Problem with that temptation was this. He already owned it all. Jesus did. He spoke it into existence. But that's the way he will tempt us. He'll tempt us to be self-sufficient instead of relying upon him. Satan will tempt us to be self-sufficient instead of relying upon God. He'll tempt us to be important and think how important we are. He'll, He'll tempt us and seduce us with power. And that's not an exhaustive list, like I said a moment ago. But that lets us know how he operates. So we can resist Satan better if we understand how he operates, but we also need to understand not just his wiles, we need to understand the weapons that we have. We need to be aware of the weapons that he's given us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, Paul writes these words, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Man, if we could just grab that last verse. Every thought you have, stop and grab it. Is this okay, God? That would help us a lot. To bring it captive to Him. Now, in the notes, I gave you all the scripture references because there's no way today for us to look at them. But I want to give you a picture of the weapons that we have. Look at the weapons that he gives us. The belt of truth. To have God's truth supporting us like a belt. We we need to use God's word in that way. And it's found all through the New Testament. In that same story I was talking about a moment ago, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus repeatedly said to every temptation that Satan brought forward, Jesus said what? It is, what did he say? Written. So what we need to use against the wiles of the devil when he comes to tempt us is God's Word. We need to use it like a belt that supports us. 
we have a breastplate of righteousness that we can also have based upon this word that protects our hearts and helps us to live right and protects us from the enemy's attack. We, we also have footwear or marching boots or the gospel of peace. He gives us a foundation we can stand upon firmly, and that's the, the gospel, not just for ourselves, but to take it to other people. And as we do so, we're taking back territory that was controlled by the devil. Another weapon we have against Satan to help us resist him is a shield of faith. Our faith in Christ is like a shield or a protector for us. Another weapon that the Bible tells us about is the helmet of salvation. We need to allow the salvation and the Word of God to, to cover our minds and protect our, our minds. We've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God. The Bible is a weapon, and we need to put it to use. And when we put it to use, it'll help us cut through the devil's lies and help us win in the battle. We also have prayer. You see, in prayer, we're relying upon God's help. Satan doesn't like that. He wants you to rely upon yourself. He wants you to rely upon worldly wisdom. God wants us to rely upon Him. And James tells us, if we will so resist the devil, there's a good result. He says, He will flee from you. He, he will flee. He will disappear. He will vanish. As you continue to use God's truth, and you apply it to your life, and you apply it to the temptations of Satan, it will cause him to flee. Paul told us in in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. In that, he also used a military term. And what he more or less says is don't give Satan a foothold or don't give Satan a base of operation. Don't give him a camp that he can attack you from by allowing him to set an encampment up of war in, in your life. Hermas, uh, which is a Christianity from years ago. How many read something by Hermas this week? I didn't think so. Because <laughs> it was years and years and years and years and years and years ago. Here's what Hermas said, and I really love this. The devil cannot dominate the servants of God who hope in him with all their hearts. The devil can wrestle, but he cannot pin. You like that? If then you resist him, he will flee defeated from you in disgrace. We're talking about actions in our lives that can cause trouble with God. Spiritual adultery would do that. Human arrogance, pridefulness will also cause trouble with God. So he gives us, first of all, a scriptural principle that we need to apply. God Opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he gives us some personal practices that we need to use. Submit to God, resist the devil. Then I want to close by something I skipped over. I told you to park in your mind. I'd come back to in a moment. He also gives us a powerful promise here. But he gives more 
grace. You know why that's such a powerful promise? Because I'm assuming you, like me, even after you receive Christ as your Savior, there's been some times that you've been a friend of the world. I'm assuming you, like me, since you received Christ as your Savior, there have been some times you acted like an enemy of God. There's been some times in your life on the other side of receiving Christ that you ignored the Scriptures and did it your way anyhow. There's been times in your life since you received Christ as your Savior that you ignored the Holy Spirit that was living inside of you. I have, have you? Most of us probably did some of those things this past week, amen? So you want to hear about more grace? That God gives us an abundant supply, He gives us more, more than needed. More of His grace. We, we can't deserve His grace. We can't earn His grace. That's why it's grace. Grace is God giving us something we cannot deserve or earn. It's the divine influence upon our heart. Graciously, God deals with our hearts. And, and, he, and he calls us to Him. And He has more grace. And the reason you need to hear that is that all of us from time to time, have been spiritual adulterers. All of us, from time to time, have been lifted up in our pride, and we've allowed our pride to take us down the pathway of spiritual adultery. I failed to mention this earlier, but you want to know what the foundational issue is with someone committing adultery? It starts way on back here with someone pridefully thinking, I've got the right to be happy. I've got the right to have what I want. And right now my spouse isn't making me happy. So they convince themselves pridefully that they've got the right to be happy. That's the foundation that launches out into adultery. And that's the foundation that launches us into spiritual adultery. When we start thinking, I've got the right to do what I want to do. And God, I don't care what you say about it. So we've all done that, right? Will you agree with me and quit making me feel like I'm the only one that's bad up here? <laughs> you know what the devil wants to do? The devil wants you to believe because you're guilty of spiritual adultery on the other side of receiving Christ. The devil wants you to believe because you've ignored the Scriptures and you've ignored the Holy Spirit of God. The devil wants you to believe because you're, you're being a friend of the world, you might as well just keep being a friend of the world. And too often we believe that lie. We think, man, I've, I've messed up, so I'm kind of stuck here. That's the devil's lie. Here's God's truth. He has more grace. Thank God. Amen? Paul said it like this in Romans. 
I'm jumping around on them, so they may have to get to it. <laughs> but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace... You see, all that Satan wants to offer can't compare with the more grace that God wants to give you. And just because you've messed up, and we all have messed up from time to time, that does not mean that you have to stay there. It's not a license to go do it again. But God says, just because you've messed up, don't believe the devil's lie. Just because you've been a spiritual adulterer, you don't have to keep being one. Just because you've been filled with haughtiness and pride, it doesn't mean you have to keep staying there. God wants you to hear this message. I have more grace. I don't think any of us really want to cause trouble with God. I mean, it would be crazy. If you, if you really believe God is who he says he is, would it not be crazy? If you agree with me, would it not be crazy to say, I want to cause trouble with God? And yet we do it sometimes. We choose to be friends with the world instead of being friends with God. And that creates trouble. We ignore God's word. We ignore His Holy Spirit in us. And that makes us like we're enemies with God. We, we allow human arrogance to fill our lives up. And we get really self-sufficient and think we're okay. You know who the author of the self-improvement campaign really is originally the satan the devil he's the one that originally started the improve yourself campaign have all these seminars about improving yourself you can go to pay money for by the books the tapes whatever self-improvement you know the advertisement they're running on tv right now has got pinocchio standing at the front you seen that one And Pinocchio is there at the front and he's trying to pump these people up and he looks at one and he says, you've got potential and his nose starts to grow. And he looks at another and he says, and, and you've got potential and his nose starts to grow even more. See, that Pinocchio is a picture of Satan. He wants you to be self-sufficient. God wants us to trust in his grace. Not in our abilities, not in our works, in His amazing, marvelous grace. So I'm not going to be like a Pinocchio today. I'm not going to stand up here and say, you're okay and you're okay and you're okay and you're okay. Because we're not. We're all screwed up. But He gives more grace. We need to remember that the Bible says this, He who is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Let's pray. Father, forgive us that we've acted like disobedient children. Forgive us that... Uh, 
that we've acted like unfaithful spouses toward you. And so often we ignore your word and we ignore your spirit that's in us. Father, help each and every heart and mind right now that's in this place to do serious business with you. And Father, if it's someone that's never said yes to Jesus, maybe they believe the devil's lie that they're messed up and they can't get out and that's where they have to stay. Help them to understand you have grace for them. Forgiveness for them. Jesus died on the cross to pay for that sin. And those of us that already know Christ as our Savior, and yet sometimes we're guilty of being friends with the world. And Satan's trying to keep us there and make us think we've messed up and we, we've got to stay where we are. Father, help us to see your truth, that you have more grace for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they do this song of invitation, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, please don't let the devil tell you right now you're stuck where you are. Because you're not. Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sin, came out of the grave to show you that he had won the victory. And he will set you free right now if you'll trust in him. He has grace for you if you'll trust in him. But also during this invitation time, we as believers, because as I said a moment ago, we're probably guilty of being friends with the world. This past week, maybe this morning. (laughs) Maybe you need to apologize to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been like someone committing adultery against you. God, I'm sorry I've been filled up with so much of myself and so much of my pride. And understand, He has more grace for you right now too. We're going to prepare for the baptism that we knew about, but as I said earlier, if God has told you during the service, you need to be baptized, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you've never been baptized, then please come. If you just prayed a moment ago, or are willing to pray right now to receive Christ as your Savior, admit to Him you can't do it, believe that He's done it all for you on the cross. And if you'll believe in Him, He'll forgive you, give you everlasting life. I'll baptize you right now. Just listen to His Holy Spirit as they sing the song. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.